Michael, what's your favorite Pixar movie? Uh, personally, it has, I think it's been a while since I've seen a Pixar movie. Uh, I don't actually have strong Pixar feelings. Really? No Pixar nostalgia? Not really. I don't know. There's like a part of me as a kid that was sort of averse to, I, I just seemed kind of averse to the whole Disney thing. It was like everyone else liked it. So I had to not like it. And just oh, didn't sure. develop any strong feelings for that kind of stuff. You didn't. I mean, I liked. I guess I liked stuff like Toy Story. And, okay. And, yeah. And, and you know the works. I like the first half of that first part of Up. Sure. Things like that, like the the normal, the very normal answers. Wally's neat. Yeah. The Academy yeah, Award know. winning Soul. So, uh, I haven't thought about Soul since sitting down to defend Soul on this podcast like a year ago. Yes. It doesn't have much in the way of staying power. It's very pretty. Oh, did you love Luca? Luca was nice. You know, it was cute. Do you have insane hype for turning red? Not insane hype, but it looks kind of adorable. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of into it. I'll go see. I'll go see Turning Red. Heck yeah! You got a favorite like, Pixar short? I like pandas. Uh, the one with the little piping plovers, little birds. I don't know. Where if he's I... learning how to like fish or grab their little oh, shells. Oh yes, yes. I don't know if they were plovers. I don't think they're plovers. I think they were something else. Was that the Finding Dory short or something like that? That wasn't Might too long ago. No, it's pretty recent. Yeah. That's some good looking animation right there. It is Piper. 2017, 2016. It was the one before Finding Dory, yeah. Wow. It's very cute, Christian. It's got cute little birds on it. Actually, Finding Nemo was probably the my real answer for the Ooh, Pixar thing. I watched yes. that movie. There was a there was a day there was a year where my family decided to do one of those family trips to Florida. That that really you know, yeah yeah yeah. And we had a DVD player in the back, and Aww. the only DVD my brother and I watched on the way down and the way back. <laughs> Was Finding Nemo. Oh, my word. I How know. many viewings was that? A lot, to the point <laughs> that I can recite the script in my mind. I, or at least I was able to for a while. I was able to just kind of oh read through scenes in my head. Um, we also There's also like a, a cute little like short with it featuring uh, Jean-Jacques Cousteau, the, the oceanographer. Or not oceanographer. Really? And that was also very cute. And it was like... I don't know. It's how I learned about how coral reproduce and how, Dude. uh, what, uh, uh, was it Jacques Cousteau? No, no, it wasn't Jacques Cousteau. Sounds like a Jean- Ratatouille something. Jean-Michel Cousteau. I think it was Jean-Michel. The one who, uh, either way, just okay. a famous, he was a famous environmentalist and ocean, an oceanographer. Um, and he had this cute little video where he talked with the characters from Finding Nemo about ah. things like uh, just coral, coral, like the losses of coral reefs, but also how coral reproduce and things like that and cuttlefish and stuff. Like there's a bit where Dory speaks cuttlefish and it was really cute and I thought it was great as a kid. But um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm That's doomed so- to forever associate cuttlefish with the South Park Human Centipede episode where oh, that's the right. guy says cuttlefish and asparagus. That's right. The the yeah, yep. The yep. Terms the, and conditions. The front of the the, front of the, the, the centipede. Yep. yep. Eats cuttlefish and asparagus. He sure does. That's a weird thing to associate with cuttlefish. <laughs> I'm screwed, Michael. My brain's broken. Yeah. What about you? What's your What's your Pixar take? Oh boy, I was thinking about this, Michael, but I don't know for sure. I I got a lot of similar to you. I got a lot of pent up uh, experience and nostalgia with Monsters Inc. because watched it on VHS in the back of a van on the mm. way to our cabin up north mm. in uh, Wisconsin, north of Wisconsin. Oh yeah, and we watched Monsters Inc. a couple times. Okay, but yeah, that was like a like transcendental experience. It was like, oh my gosh, we are leaving on vacation and watching Monsters Inc. right now. Yeah, what? Uh, Life made. Okay, okay. How many times do you think you watched Monsters Inc. on the road up? Oh, it's probably just twice. I think. I okay. think it was just twice. Not nearly as much as you watch Finding Nemo. Yeah, no, I, there was there was a lot of Finding Nemo. Where uh, where up north there, eh? It was a uh, city called Hayward, Wisconsin. Okay, is that up, up by Superior there, eh? Or is that out towards Door County there, eh? Or I'm Question. saying a lot. Yeah, I think it's more north. I don't think it's by any of the Great Lakes. I think it's just okay. straight up. And there's there's other smaller lakes around it though. They make up. Okay. For okay. Right. Right. Very lakey up there in North oh, Wisconsin, yeah. I find. Mm, yes. Plenty of lakes. I, I I think I remember reading sometime at some point there were more lakes in Wisconsin than Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes. <gasps> more than 10,000? I think. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I think that was something that was thrown around a lot back in the oh, totally. old When you live in Wisconsin. School. Yeah. That's stuff You have to have here. a chip on your shoulder about everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cheese. Cheese, cows, beer, <laughs> lakes, them Packers. Dude, you like water, Michael. I do like Big water. Big bodies of water, water, a la Japan? <laughs> uh, on the other side of Big Body of Water? Yes. Yes. We're fresh off of Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day. Oh, geez. Okay. Japan. World Japan. War Two. Yeah. Happy yeah. fun times. Oh, so many happy fun times. Um so do we wanna do we wanna we should have do we wanna uh sort of introduce the theme for the night? Hit me, Michael. Okay, so Christian. Mm-hmm. You and I have both last time we or not the last time we did this, but one of the times we did this, we did some Yakuza movies, right? Mm-hmm. One of those movies was that really like existentialist uh sort of Yakuza film by Mr. Takeshi Kitano, or better known as the comedian Beat Takeshi, right? Did he, he did direct that movie? He, yeah. Oh, yeah, dang. Yeah. Okay. So. Yep. Talented man. Um, yeah, yeah. Of, of Yakuza fame, of of Takeshi's Castle, worst mm-hmm. video game ever made fame. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's him? Ah. Oh. Okay, you make well, me learn Takeshi's Castle. It's sorry, that one. It's like a thirty-year-old game, and everyone hates yes. it. And yes, yeah. But 
so we decided, or I guess I decided and forced you to direct, follow along uh, to watch a couple more movies with Mr. Takeshi Kitano in it. Um, he certainly did. So we did his other big Yakuza movie, Sonatine. We did Zatoichi, which is his sort of take on this long-running film franchise in Japan. And we did Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which he did not make, but he features pretty prominently mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, by the way, the movie, is, the game was Takeshi, the ultimate challenge from Beat Takeshi. That's or Takeshi's right. Challenge, which was like the first, they got the first like shit rating in Famitsu or something. And people don't like it. <laughs> anyway, um, so... The guy is like this well-respected filmmaker here in the West. In Japan, he's popular as a comedian. He's he's not an unknown item. So I kind of wanted to dig into this for a while. I'm curious, if is this the first time you've really, outside of Hanabi, really done, like experienced a, a, a Takeshi Kitano movie? Yes, sir. Okay, okay. You've played Yakuza 6, right? Yes, sir. He's there too. He certainly is. I'm kind of glad I didn't know that uh, he was such a big actor when I was playing Yakuza 6, because then I might have cut on to the fact that they probably didn't want to squander him. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I, I read about that a bit. Like, I guess the creator of Yakuza didn't want to ask him because he kept he was afraid of Takeshi saying no oh, or something weird. like that. And then it just kind of yeah. came up in a casual conversation one day or or I don't know. Anyway, anyway. So I guess this is the spoiler warning. We're going to be going into spoiler territory, but you watch these three movies. I watch these three movies. Uh, do you want to mm-hmm. start anywhere, Christian? Wherever you want, Michael. You're my tour guide. Okay. Okay. Do you want to maybe lead with Sonatine then? Sure, dude. You, you, you mentioned Yakuza. I did. One of his, uh, one of his co-stars in this movie also... Features prominently in Yakuza Kiwami 2, my second favorite Yakuza game. Oh, okay. Okay, wait, which one? I have to look it up. I think his name is Susumu Terajima. Which which character was he in Sonatine? He is, um, right at the beginning, he's kind of his pal, buddy, Yakuza guy. Guy with the really greasy haircut? Yes. Ah, okay, okay. Because I saw him, I'm like, oh, that guy's got that face! Where have I seen that face? And it was in Yakuza Kiwami 2. Okay. He's got a good face. He's got that lip. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's got that, like, yeah. Yep. So, uh, what did you, I guess, what did you, I guess the context here first is that Sonatine is sort of one of his, his big movies. It was one of his big critical successes here in the West. Um, it's him doing the Yakuza thing, but it's also very much not like a normal Yakuza movie or a crime drama. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, it's it's very different from that. I'm curious, though, Christian, what did you think of Sonatine? I liked it. It's interesting that um, you mentioned that Hanabi was also directed by Takeshi. I did not know that because there are a lot of parallels, I think, between this movie and um, the fireworks movie. Yeah. no, fe- They both feature fireworks. They do. Both Yakuza films. On a beach. On a beach. They're on a beach. Directed by Takeshi. Yeah. It's like poetry. Um, it rhymes with itself. It certainly does. I did like it, though. It's okay. very similar where... I don't. It seemed like his thing, 
his shtick with these Yakuza movies is like set pieces or like uh, little bite-sized nuggets. And it's like uh, <clears throat> being a Yakuza sucks, but it's a lifestyle. Kind of. I felt like so much of, of Sonatine was like a break from that, though, in a way. Sure. Because so much of it ends up feeling like it feels more more playful, more more like childish in a lot of ways. Yeah. But um, yeah. I guess it's worth noting that my, from what I understand, both Sonatine and Hanabi are kind of so so. Takashi Kitano makes a few other Yakuza movies out there, and I think they're more in the vein of like your conventional. Oh. Yeah, because the movie people yelling at each other, acting all manly with guns and stuff and and doing the normal stuff. So this is I don't my impression is that Sonatine is sort of a deviation from the norm in the same way that Hanabi kind of is as well. Um, Interesting. But yeah, so this I think this movie is kind of crazy in a lot of ways. Because it's so, it's so aggressively deadpan, and yes. in some ways, and in the ways it sort of feels naturalistic, and in other ways, it sort of feels so feels strange. There's a lot of like, you know, characters just uh, not really reacting around them. A lot of straight faces. A lot of like little sudden movement. There's little sudden movement and things like that, even though. You have these like jarring breaks of violence that'll pop up. Um, it's just it's interesting to me the way these things sort of come together. Um, I've heard this movie described as existential in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, and I think that's a good way to sort of describe it because it is sort of very, you know, it is sort of very quiet, contemplative, and in a lot of other ways, there's like this 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 i don't know if the question is what's the meaning of life or whatever it's that seems like a really silly way to describe it but there's there does seem to be sort of this this question in a way about whether or not um the main character takeshi's character at least wants to really whether he wants to be where he is doing what he's doing whether he wants to even be alive because there seems like there's some sort of i don't want to say playfulness but some sort of willingness to to just kind of throw chance to the wind and and mm-hmm. sometimes i i guess cuz one of the big like defining scenes in this movie is is the the little russian roulette game where the pistol's empty but no mm-hmm. one knows that but him mm-hmm. so it's like is he is he really like does he really is he really weighing suicide is he really throwing that sort of that to chance but then there are times where like a gunfight in the bar where he just stands perfectly still. Yeah. And is just pulling the trigger. Same with the 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 elevator shootout, that very like bizarre sort of breakdown in the elevator where everyone kind of dies, but but he mm-hmm. like where he's the only one to really walk away. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know, it's an interesting movie, I think. But um I guess what were what were your kind of impressions, Christian? I thought it was interesting how it's it takes a curious path where the first like actor chunk of the movie is more traditional Yakuza stuff where you've got him like extorting someone for money and then you've got him 
in a shootout and then you've got them doing a bombing in a location and then all of a sudden they go to like a safe house on the ocean shore and then they just hang out yeah and they're just chilling and then they're just talking about how much their life sucks yeah and then that's just kind of the rest of the movie there until the very end for the most part yeah thought that was very curious and interesting and uh it seems like Takeshi is a little he he's got a little silly streak in him which is interesting <laughs> there's a scene in this movie where they're they're playing like um rock'em sock'em robots um, yeah the little sumo game with like, yeah, yeah with little paper um characters and then they reenact it on the beach for some yeah. reason <laughs> uh it's, i love that scene it's like my favorite scene in this movie because it's so goofy and but it syncs up with the music so well and it feels like at that moment we were supposed to see the characters acting sort of it, it, it's sort of play playful childish sort of a sense of innocence that you really don't associate with the the yakuza genre and absolutely it was just a fun moment so much of this movie with like the deadpanness, like how like how deadpan the entire movie is, or at least the characters are, it feels comedic. Like the there's the sequence with the where they are trying to extort the money out of the one guy, and they're like dangling him over the water, and they're dunking yes. him, and they're just staring blank faced as he's begging and stuff, and it feels very cruel, but at the same time, the reaction feels comedic in a way or like when they're in the they're in a dinner club kind of talking over yakuza stuff and everyone's just re looks really bored and no one's really <laughs> yeah. saying anything it also sort of felt discomforting and also kind of funny like i thought it was just kind of this like this funny moment where no one's really acting like where everyone's just blank faced in like this this supper ritzy supper club and they're all there and it doesn't seem like it's a it's a power thing really even though it might have they might have said something that implied that it was it just seems like everyone is just there and blank faced <laughs> totally yeah and what makes this movie interesting i think among yakuza movies is that i assume that writ large a lot of yakuza movies of the time probably wanted you to make it i wanted you to think it's cool to be yakuza a lot of the yakuza games are like that <clears throat> or is this movie it's like man i'm so glad i'm not any of these people because this yeah. seems terrible <laughs> yeah yeah and i think so much of this is like yeah this life blows all of this sucks um because they're t and they when they bring it up and stuff too they'll bring up like oh yeah people have died and and i, I just it doesn't yeah it, it really seems like it rubs a little bit of that that romance of of yakuza life away um which isn't unique to necessarily Takeshi Kitano or even this movie within his own filmography. Hanabi, I felt a lot, yep. felt a lot like that as well. Um, at around the same time, there's another filmmaker. Uh, I have to think of his name. He did. He ends up the same guy who made um, Tom Popo. Uh, he made a movie that was a parody of of uh of yakuza of the yakuza and sort of made them seem like goofy extortionists who were also <laughs> um 
who are also like part of their extortion involved them being like a weird homeowners association kind of thing. And it was just really, really goofy. And it actually pissed off the Yakuza to the point that it's heavily (laughs) implied that they assassinated the filmmaker. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So like this is, it's not unique to like the, the Takeshi sitting here trying to wipe away the, 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 uh, sort of the, 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 the romance with, with the Yakuza yeah. culture i think this is sort of a trend we're seeing that will that you see about this time but um which i thought was sort of interesting but yeah it, it does seem as though the characters themselves don't really want to be here it seems like the this this all genuinely is terrible because they're waiting on a beach ostensibly with their life on the line mm-hmm. and they're just supposed to sit there and do nothing <laughs> and i don't know yeah. It's like an anti-film almost. <laughs> yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah. That was actually, yeah, it, it like, yeah. Anti-film, I think, is a very good way to put it. How the heck is Takeshi still alive if he's made these movies? And, you know, like, uh, unglorifying the Yakuza lifestyle. Oh, because he still glorifies it in some ways. He, these Sure. Some of these characters are still kind of cool in their own way. Oh, totally. And he's still yeah. playing Yakuza characters who are cool. I read a little like, about his biography, and he's he grew up in a sort of working-class environment where he knew a lot of people who eventually did join the Yakuza. And really? He's played characters that I think are more of your traditional, you know, your traditional Yakuza characters, your... your macho men with some kind of a conscious but also with a with a pretty violent streak if they need to be need to have it oh totally yeah i can see yeah i could see how some people would still interpret it this movie as stereotypically badass when it ends with him gunning down a bunch of people and then committing suicide yeah which i thought that was the the way that ends though it's it does sort of seem like it still it still seems like the the part of the the thesis to this movie is that maybe even if the Yakuza, it isn't about the Yakuza life itself as much as it is about this one character. Mm-hmm. It seems like this character hated what he, he, he just didn't want to be there. He didn't want this anymore and he wanted out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does end with, with his suicide, which is sort of a really, it's sort of what the ending I kind of expected yeah. to happen, mm-hmm. not knowing anything about, sonatine going in other than its sort of reputation as being this like somewhat surreal yakuza movie by uh beat takeshi but um yeah it sort of seemed like this is where things were pointing but totally how do you think this movie compares and contrasts to hanabi michael uh in that i mean they both seem like anti-yakuza movies in their own way mm-hmm. i mean i don't a lot of, of Hanabi felt like it was the same kind of character, you know, wanting to get out. But this time it was more involved with a sort of a, this time it was, it, it was more of an individualist kind of thing in a way, or, or I don't know. It seems like it gives time to sort of let the, let Takeshi's character sort of interact with, with the other members of his Yakuza group to, to feel sort of like a brotherhood or a kinship in some kind of way. Totally. Well, Hanabi is definitely more of the loner thing, except in that one, he had a, a romantic interest that, mm-hmm. and in both cases, I think it's sort of that in both cases, I think Takeshi, the director, let his character sort of let them have their relationship and let that relationship 
breathe to where it was impactful and important and and touching and it, it's it's all interesting to me because it does seem like takeshi really really does love the characters he's portraying and ha- letting them sort of have their their moments in these movies and things like that mm-hmm. it does see and it, it it's just it, it's all i don't know exactly where i'm trying to go with what i'm saying i'm very kind of i'm, I'm all over the place christian i'm sorry that's okay michael takeshi would but appreciate I, that what do you think? Like, I guess, how do you feel with Sonatine and Hanabi sort of having seen both of these? What, what is, what sort of, I guess, how do you compare them in your mind? How, what, how are you thinking about them? They seem very, very similar to me. And it, I see them in a very similar headspace. And that's why I was curious <clears throat> going into this. I, I was kind of floored when you mentioned that Hanabi was also directed by Takeshi because I wasn't aware of that somehow. That completely slipped my mind. That went under the radar for me. I didn't realize that. Because a lot of that deadpanness that you're talking about is also in this movie. Um, there's that scene at the beginning of Hanabi where it's the fun chipper, happy, fun music. And then it cuts out with like garbage getting thrown on his car or something like that. Yeah. And then the end of this movie is like mostly happy, fun music. And then it gets cut dead with the gunshot of him committing suicide. And I was like, ooh, there's there's some similar DNA going on in here. And also, yeah. you know, obviously the Yakuza stuff, the beach stuff, the fireworks stuff, all that stuff. But question for you, Michael. Hmm. Is it does it seem weird to you <laughs> uh that uh, um Takeshi wrote, directed, co-edited, I think, and starred in this movie. Does that ever feel weird to you when that's the case, when the star is also the director and slash or writer? I, not really, because I feel like we're used to that over, like here in the West. I feel like that's a thing more often than it's not. Is it, I mean, Clint Eastwood does that all the time. Ah, does he? I don't think I've seen a Clint yeah. Eastwood movie, Michael. I'm missing out. No, you're good. <laughs> They're fine. He's a, he's, a, he's a pretty good director. His movies just have... Their messaging is a little weird, sure. and I think there's some contextual. There's there's a, usually a lot of baggage he brings into his movies that yeah. <laughs> that sort of needs to be taken in with the normal the normal drama of a of a Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, which is interesting because it sort of works in the same. He's sort of working in the same light as far as like these macho, mm-hmm. traditionally masculine characters and. And sort of coming to term with some form of weakness in his, it seems like a lot of it's mortality. Well, with um, Kitano, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case. Yeah. But um, what the heck does a workplace on set of a film look like if you are starring and directing a movie? I don't know. And you're writing it too, because then you're consulting yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of, I'm sure it works out. I'm sure it's, it's, Somehow it happens, but it is sort of like a weird logistic, like a logistical challenge, I think. Yeah. I imagine there's some kind of assistant director or someone who's also sort of guiding things along and keeping keeping tabs on things. Yeah. There's obviously someone else behind the camera. <laughs> oh, yeah. It can't be in two places at once. But it's just weird to me. I think it's just all in my head. It bothers me too much in my brain when I'm watching the movie because like when I see the star, I'm like, OK, so there's like eight actors on screen right now. Is he currently thinking about whether or not everyone else is doing what they're supposed to be doing? And so I'm like looking at his expression and being like, hmm, yeah. is, is he looking at the other people right now? I don't know. It doesn't look like it. But Takeshi yeah. plays it off phenomenally well. 
You, you can barely tell. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to the point that I don't see anyone else really being able to do these movies. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't, I, I don't understand. I don't, I don't see how something like Sonatine or Hanabi would work if it wasn't Takeshi Kitano, who was also playing the main character. Because the the way he handles all of the different emotional beats are, is so specific, I think, to him that it would be hard to see someone else, like any any kind of hypothetical actor, sort of taking his place in these films. Totally. Not that it couldn't happen, not that someone else couldn't play this sort of um, this sort of yearning yakuza type character, but it 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 these are Takeshi's movies both in like craft and in like it just as a, as a character, as an actor. Totally. He's got a presence about him. He does. <laughs> I really like his presence. That's, that's one of the things that I, I really pulled away from this is I just really like watching him play someone on screen. Yeah. And he flows between like the comedy stuff too. And the, between the comedy and the, the drama really well. Which I guess is going to come up sort of in another movie we can talk about if we wanted to move on, unless you had something else you no, wanted to add. No, I got nothing add. else. Okay. What's next? Uh, do you want to talk Zatoichi? Ooh. What? The, the, the blind samurai. Mm-hmm. With some quotation marks somewhere in that sentence. <laughs> is that how it always was? Or was no, it, no, that isn't. That's, that's what was crazy about that twist to me. Yeah. So, I don't know. Do you... We watch, so we watch Zatoichi. We watch beat Takeshi Zatoichi. Do you yes. know, do you know anything about the the Zatoichi character? Because it's an established okay. He's an it's an established character, like a very well established movie franchise. Um, I I forget how many movies. I've heard the number thirty at one point. I'm not sure Jeez. if that's correct. I can I will fact check that. But it's a very well established movie series. It's been go. It's been around for for years now. Um, a lot of this stuff has been like enshrined on like, like it's in, it's in the Criterion collection now and, yep. and, and stuff. It's pretty well regarded. A total of 26 films. Oh my Lord. I thought there was only as one well as a television one. series. Jeez. As well as a television series. <laughs> um, so it's like this crazy well-established film series and Takeshi takes it and <laughs> he sort of, this was, I I was reading about this. This was his attempt to make a crowd pleaser. Interesting. Okay. Cause, Cause he made a few, he was sort of a critical darling up into this point. Um, yeah. not so much in Japan as much as in, as in the West, uh, Hanabi kind of changed that a bit, but then he made a few flops uh-huh. and this was his sort of, comeback this was his movie that he wanted to make it as an entertaining movie really and it just so happened to be an adaptation of a of this well well-known well-established character at least in japanese movies Jeez, there's got to be a lot of baggage um, that comes along with that i would think so and then it just doesn't seem like takeshi cares about that <laughs> no <laughs> which i thought was hilarious because that twist at the end is ridiculous <laughs> considering how established the 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 Zatoichi character was um before we get into that i guess what were sort of i mean i'm curious as to what your general thoughts on Zatoichi was i thought it was just like, a very goofy movie yeah an extremely goofy movie michael the only thing that was missing was goofy of disney fame gouache oh, he look <laughs> 
I thought it was very amusing and funny and mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah. And entertaining. Was it sort of a, at a conceptual level or is it just more as like the 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 sort of comedic beats that were tossed in there? Yeah, it's just I think all of it it's fascinating cuz it's there's like so many silly things that are happening and the yeah. movie just plays it straight like it's almost a kids movie but it's definitely not a kids movie. Yeah. Um yeah, cuz there's a lot of blood. Um a lot of digitally inserted blood. Yes. Yeah, it's digitally inserted, which um, contrasts pretty sharply with Sonatine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which and it's it's interesting to me how that sort of played as well. I, I'd read someone describe this as a movie that needs to be kind of read as as sort of being about perception in some kind of ways, with the way that you sort of hear the you can kind of hear the environment. Like you've got that group of farmers who are in the rice paddy and they sort of add yes. to the song. <laughs> yes. You've got the way the blood all looks fake, except it also splashes against people after being digitally inserted. <laughs> so it's, it's so it's a very intentional thing. It's not like they're doing this for, for technical reasons. Yeah. Um, it's just a lot of these different things you sort of had to play off that way. Or you, you can, you think about it in that way. Um, it's interesting to me that how do how am I trying to word this the uh the the comedic beats in this movie that are very intentional are all kind of great yeah. or I had a lot of fun with them because they were sold so well I guess there's a lot of really slapsticky kind of things happening. Mm-hmm. Not in like the 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 sort of airplane goofball sense, or the, like the airplane parody sense, but in like the the very physical comedy kind of way. Like people who are acting tough draw their swords and accidentally slash their neighbor. <laughs> or there's the part where where Zatoichi's cutting wood and he's just chucking the wood <laughs> yeah. and clocks the uh, the one the village idiot across the the skull with a piece of wood. <laughs> um. Like a lot of that stuff, knowing that that Takashi Kitano is sort of a well-known comedian makes perfect sense. But it's really funny thinking about this being like a new adaptation of of this well-established Japanese film character by mm-hmm. this well-established director who at this point had made these very like these these very mm-hmm. dramatic soul-searching styles of 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 movies, and instead now he's goofing with. <laughs> he's goofing with a samurai character it's it's just it's interesting to me yeah um, how do you do that there has to have been there had to have been so many expectations for him yeah. when he was making this movie and he must have subverted most of them yeah i mean people seem to enjoy it that's good when it came out people liked it um and it's still held up as one of his best movies um the uh I was going to say something. The other thing that sort of stood out to me is it still sort of handled all of the drama pretty straight faced and sincerely, despite all of the kind of goofy things that were happening. At least that's how I felt. Well, I guess, how did you feel about that balance? Yeah, I I thought it was all right. I don't know. It was kind of overshadowed for me by all the silly stuff that was going on. Like when uh, there's a musical number of people. Yeah. in the field and then one of them falls at the end and crashes into someone and yeah. then hard cut and then there's also 
it's it's a little scattered at the beginning where there's disparate pieces that eventually come together mm-hmm. where we've got a brother and sister who are accosted and their families murdered for their fortune and then they go off on a revenge fueled journey and then there's guy with dying wife who agrees to become a bodyguard and fight people who's like a prodigy ronin Mm-hmm. And then we've got Zato- Zatoichi, who's our blind guy, who's a masseuse, but he goes around and is really good at gambling because he can hear the dice. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of moments that, as we get into this, like, where the, the sort of setup didn't make perfect sense to me. The sort of the, the dramatic layout didn't really make the most sense to me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't clear sort of what, like, motivations always... The characters' motivations, for the most part, made sense to me throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. The 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 sort of emotional beats made sense, but I wasn't sure what was sort of triggering some of these... Some of these events. What the setup was for, like... When... What, there's this scene where, where Zatoichi sort of just carves through the, the gambling hall. Mm-hmm. I wasn't exactly... I guess, like, a... I, I wasn't entirely sure what the setup was for that. Yeah. I get sort of what led from being in the gambling hall to to sort of this this gang wanting to, to kill this really good gambler. But it wasn't clear to me why Zatoichi was maybe poking for a fight at that very moment. Because that's what it seemed like the, the intention was. Oh, he kills a lot of people. He sure does. He cuts <laughs> through a ton of people. Um, yeah. Uh, and then the, 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 the bodyguard, the character of the bodyguard, I thought was sort of one of the weaker links here as well. Cause I thought he was, there was room for him to be, I think, interesting. And there was room for him to have some form of, yeah of character in this other than this, this brooding, talented Ronin character. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, and it seems like there's also like there's room for for character motivations because he has a sick wife he's trying to care for. Yeah, but at the same time, it wasn't always. So much of this movie, he seemed like just a genuinely also just not good guy who wanted <laughs> yeah. to kill people and things. It wasn't there. It felt like there's a sort of a few missing strands with his plot in my mind as well. Totally. Yeah. Cause he's set up to be kind of like the final foil to Zatoichi and kind of be his final boss in a sense. Yeah. And he was missing some of those dimensions that I think a perfect antagonist would have, but yeah. What can you do when you're a blind samurai running around and chucking stuff? Yeah. Uh, except he's not really blind. <laughs> he's dun, not. Dun, dun. He opened his eyes. And there's digital, and they're like digitally edited as well. <laughs> they absolutely are because he can see with those eyes, Michael. If they weren't glowing blue, how would we know? Yeah, uh, which also felt very intentional because there's like an easy way to go around that. It's just do the whole fake contact thing. Or, <laughs> yes, yes, or whatever. But he, but it was very intentional that Zatoichi had these digitally sort of these these digitally edited blue eyes. Um, did the, the gang politics make as much sense to you either? Oh, I don't even know. I don't think so, okay. Michael. Okay. Cause there's like three different gangs here, I think. Oh boy. I just know that the, the siblings, there's some kind mm-hmm. of gang stuff going on with them and murdering their family, but that's all I got. Yeah. 
there was like some kind of gang war that was happening over control of this small village too. And I think that's what eventually, uh, I think that's sort of the, the motivations of Zatoichi this entire movie is, is sort of disrupting uh, that, um, which is pretty typical for samurai movies, but sure. Um, just, it was very like, there's like the Ginzo family and then these two other families and mm-hmm. one of them extorts people daily and the other one only monthly. And, and it seems like there are attempts to power play there and yeah, it's stuff that comes up in the original Zatoichi movies. And then I think it's handled a little bit, a little more clearly there. And I think it, it works here and only in as much as that it's a very familiar trope for these kinds of things so you can just kind of assume oh yeah there's some kind of gang war or something and yeah satoichi's gonna break it up for the villagers <laughs> through this roundabout way and um i don't know it seemed to me like a kind of movie that was of the era i think it was early 2000s 2003 or something like that yeah 2003 2004 yeah lots of like overt special effects probably not the biggest special effects budget behind this thing yeah. Weird humor and weird slapstick stuff going on. and But still, like, your action from the time where he's slicing open his sword and then, like, cutting people up like none other. Yeah. And there's a lot of that cutting stuff, but, yeah. Um, actually, it seemed like a lot of ways even more violent than... Because, like, my, my comparison point to this movie is, like, Daredevil. Oh! Your other, the like, movie? example... Yeah, yeah, your Ooh. other example of the blind blind warrior. I love Ben Affleck. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh he keeps popping up in these podcasts. Um <laughs> Yeah, just sort of that like cuz this is dropping around that same time and he's sort of your other another example of this blind warrior trope. This this like he can't see so because of that his other sen- senses are heightened and ah. he has sort of a, he's sort of a superpowered character and what do you do with that then? Yeah. Um the difference is that with Zatoichi, he's not given like a super powered foil, really. Mm-hmm. Even this other this other bodyguard who's sort of hyped up as sort of being a, a competent killer kind of falls apart pretty quick. Yeah. So. Why did he make him able to see, Michael? Like, was was he just willingly deciding not to look <laughs> for 75% of the movie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because he, he even says in the movie that yeah. like. I pretend to be blind because your others, your other senses are heightened and stuff. Yeah. Um. So it's just like a, an intentional decision, and I'm not sure how. I I think people liked this movie when it came when it came out, so I'm not sure how how interesting much it's read. It felt like a parody in a kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> um. Which is why I thought it was hilarious, and I actually kind of enjoyed that twist, but. <laughs> And it's all happening while well, there's a tap dancing number happening too. Yeah. And... Yeah. The end of this movie is just an insane party curtain call dance sequence. Yeah. Uh, so, and it all feels like so much of this movie feels sort of insincere in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that was kind of one of those, those things where it's like, okay, ta- Takeshi is here just to sort of goof the audience <laughs> and, and yeah. goof with us. And I would believe that to be the case, except that I think there was some very intentional drama yeah. included in the story. The the siblings especially, there mm-hmm. were dramatic stakes for them. Yeah. There was dramatic stakes with the 
even though I'm not sure it was fully developed with the bodyguard character yeah. and his wife who was dying of, of some kind of, of, um, lung disease or whatever, I think. Cause she's coughing a lot. Like yeah. That's her. So there, like, there's this very like real human drama that's going on in this movie. It just so happens that also there's a tap dancing sequence <laughs> and, and these other sort of parody things happening. Totally. Um, what a strange movie. Like, did you like Zatoichi? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed okay. it. It was very bizarre. It was a roller coaster ride of a film, Michael. Yeah. One of the things that stood out to me too is that um, I think you and I were talk had talked about this at some point or another back around the time that Ghost of Tsushima had come out. Yeah. In the video game. Because mm -hmm. you had watched a bunch of samurai movies yep. and you were you had said something about how there's so little like I think that there's so little of that sort of extreme yes. violence that sits in Ghost of Su that that is so at the core of Ghost of Tsushima. Yes, because like even something like Seven Samurai doesn't have the characters going out just cutting people down. Yeah, and but Zatoichi mm -hmm. does. <laughs> it certainly does. He, he racks up a body count. He's whipping swords around. He's getting yeah. it done. Lots of blood flying. People are throwing swords at each they other. Uh, okay. I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad to hear you liked it. What a fascinating man this this yeah. guy is. And yeah, I think this is another one of those examples of of, of Kitano sort of playing the 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 drama by goofiness as well. Yeah. Together. Like he like being able to bring those two together in a way that's that's convincing as far as the character goes i think i don't know i do you i guess how do you how do you feel about that no i don't disagree i think it was very very silly though more than <clears throat> uh Sontanin and uh hanabi both of those seemed mm -hmm. more on the serious end yeah oh definitely yeah yeah compared to and the more that it this yeah the more that i think about it the more sad to almost feels jarring for being for the ways that it is just, it leans so much more into the comedy or more directly into the comedy. But it's goofy, dude, that, that Takashi's got range. He's, yeah. he's not a one trick pony. Uh, except in video games. <laughs> um, but no, I just, yeah, it's, it's, I enjoyed this movie too, I guess. So, and I, and I think what, and it's another one of those where I'm not sure another actor could have really pulled it off the way Kitano could have. So him and so him being his own, he's the director, but him also sort of casting himself, I think, is to the benefit of the film. He looks down a lot. He does look down a lot. He's got that face twitch sometimes. He does. I like that face twitch. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that face twitch. It's like, oh, it's a very, it's a, it's a cool calling card, actually. It kind of is, yeah, in a weird way. It works regardless um, of context, almost. Yeah, and it and it fits well in these sort of like these these times where you're trying to juggle drama and mm -hmm. comedy and all these other things, and it just I don't know. He's got a good presence, I think, for this kind of of stuff, this kind of balancing act, um, this kind of oafishness and seriousness. So I don't know. Any other kind of thoughts on on Zatoichi there, Christian? I don't think so, Michael. Kitano finds a way. He does. I like his. I also like the the soundtracks, just generally. Yeah. The, does he the have the same of, guy on all these, or does he pick different people? Do you know? 
for a while he did. He had Joe Hisashi, Joe, uh, the the same guy who does Studio Ghibli's stuff. Really? Yeah, I don't think that was the case in this film, though. I think this film had a different. It sounded yeah, it different, a different. I think composer, but for like uh, Sonatine and thing, and and for for both Sonatine and Hanabi, it yeah. was the same. Uh, got it. Got it. Same uh, composer who is I want to make sure I have his name. Right. Yeah, Joe Hisaishi, who's wow. yeah the the one who does a lot of the Studio Ghibli movies and stuff oh, too. Hey. So it's a very distinct style. It is. And I've liked the soundtracks for pretty much all of these movies. So it's good stuff. Want to want to move on to the last one there? Let's do it. How do you how do you feel about gay subtext in war crimes? Oh, I love gay subtext, Michael. Yeah, I yeah. liked this you, Merry Christmas movie. You did. I'm glad. <laughs> I did. I I think this is the first movie I watched with David Bowie in it. So this was my exposure to David Bowie. Oh yeah. You've never seen like Labyrinth or anything like that? Never have I ever. Ah, David Bowie's in it. He's got a noticeably large bulge in his <laughs> tights. Um, but yeah, no, Miss Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. This is like the second time I watched it and I, I realized I really like this movie. Ooh, really? Yeah, I love this movie. It's so... It's so many different things. It is. It feels like it's balancing a lot of, of different things, but as far as like a a handful of different character studies sort of put together in the context of like World War Two and sort of these attempts to try to to frame relationships with this larger this these larger things at play. I it just it's it's got a lot going on and I really like all of it. This, there's a strangeness to it, too, that I really like. And Yeah, it's very unconventional. There's not like yes. an overarching like plot line. It's mostly POWs chilling out American or accent or I'm sorry, allied POWs chilling out in a Japanese camp. Yeah. And chilling being the, the strong. Word, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's. It, I think it goes pretty far to show that that they're being abused. That this is a bad situation for them. Um, but it's so, and because it it doesn't have that clear through plot, it ends up becoming so much more about the characters and yeah. in particular, I think David Bowie's character and uh. Ryuichi Sakamoto's character, whose name is escaping me, the 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 camp captain. Yeah, I know you're talking about. I forget his name too. Uh, I will. I'm going to bring up the list, the casting crew, the casting casting list and stuff. The uh, it's like Yoko or something like that. Yonoi, Captain Yonoi. Yonoi. There you go. Yeah. But um, it, it really seems like it's about them as well as 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 um, Lieutenant Colonel. Oh, he's Lieutenant Colonel. Lieutenant Colonel Lawrence and and Takashi Kitano's character doesn't really seem as it doesn't really seem as interested in him. Yeah, but he's also such an important character here. Yeah, because they bookend the whole movie with him and kind of bring it all back around at the end. Yeah, he has both the first and the last line. <laughs> oh, you're right. That's Which great. I thought was I didn't notice that until now. Yeah, I, I, I was starting to write notes while watching it today, Ooh. and and I, I this is the first time I really realized. Oh, he, it begins and ends with his character. Oh wow! Um, 
That's deep, Michael. Yeah. But you liked you liked Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence? I did. Yeah. I liked it quite a bit. I liked how it's just these people just trying to get by in this mm-hmm. camp. But like the movie, it threads this very fine line. It pulls off this ridiculous balancing act where it's just an American bunch of American soldiers chilling in a camp. And the things that are happening to them are less than ideal. But at the same time, the Japanese uh, people, soldiers who have them captured, like they're not just mercilessly murdering all of them. They're just kind of putting them in less than desirable circumstances. So it was weird how they they treaded this fine line of, you know, these it if the U.S. had these people prisoner, it would probably be pretty similar. But at the same time, this is an absolutely awful living conditions and people are getting by okay. Yeah, I mean, there are some moments that that do drift sort of directly into that kind of very cruel violence, even before the camp sort of switches things before it's sort of that like turning point near the end of the movie. Um. I mean, there are people here who are, are there was there's a character who's executed pretty. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a character who's executed. There's one who's made to commit suicide. Granted, he was a rapist. Mm-hmm. Um, there's you know, there's there's some cruelty going on oh, here. Yeah. And it's and they make it very clear that the the Japanese military here is sort of flouting flouting the, the Geneva Convention. Yeah. They even say so directly. They do. But uh, at the same and that. I think David Bowie's character is pretty explicitly tortured as well before even arriving at the camp. But at the same time, this movie goes to like these very great lengths to find ways to humanize the, the sort of the Japanese soldiers here in a, in a way that I think is sort of aiming at this sort of what I, what I do think ends up being the movie's thesis statement about sort of conflict and war and, and what it makes of people at the end Yeah, with, with Takeshi's character when they have him sort of, ask you know i just did what's it's just so to say i did what any other soldier did but why am i being yeah. put to death for it um so it it does but it does sort of straddle that line and i think it does in a lot of ways effectively humanize some of these characters while still also making them out to be appropriately cruel i mean you see you've got takeshi kitano's character and he's this very they make him to be at times very likable and affable and, <laughs> yeah and sort of oafish even at times mm-hmm. but at the same time he's the one who's uh who's beating people around with yeah. a cane who's it's forcing like one to commit suicide who's um who initially recommends execution for the two main british characters mm-hmm. in this film and then walks it back only after immediately executing another <laughs> character, and it sort of it sort of does walk that line, and I think in a way that is effective, and and yeah, 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 like you said, um, some great camera work is happening oh, in this movie yes, too. Hundred percent. The scene with the ones that stood out to me. There's a lot of the, the symmetry. There's a lot of mm-hmm. you know, like that symmetrical approach to a room you have like it's, it's just sort of very center centrally focused but you have people sort of around the room in ways you see that in the courtroom you see that in 
when they fake David Bowie's char- uh, character's yep. execution. You see that during the Kendo fight. Um, there's also this shot during the trial of of David Bowie, sort of his uh, his Lieutenant Sellier's, I think Lieutenant or Captain Sellier's, um, whatever or Major, whatever his whatever his title was. He's sort of left waiting for a verdict alone at this podium and it's sort of tilted in a way but it's focused on him it's just really cool yeah a lot of the camera work in this movie i just absolutely loved mm-hmm. i also really liked uh Sellier's or david bowie's characters uh uh function as like the focal point of this movie in a way the movie isn't named after him mm-hmm. but in a lot of ways he's kind of the main character and he's he gives the movie a lot of intrigue where mm-hmm. He it's interesting that he just kind of gives himself up and then he puts himself in front of a firing squad and then they don't kill him, but they still shoot the guns at him in order to like freak him out in a kind of way. And he like barely even flinches at it. And so that's when it like immediately gets interesting for like your average mouth breathing viewer like myself, where it's like, hmm, what's their plan for this guy? why is it that they didn't kill him here? And then you kind of get to see that push and pull between him and the Japanese captain. And as to, there's kind of a power struggle going on there, despite the fact that Sellers really doesn't have any power in this situation at all. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, He is also sort of a vehicle for like a strangeness to this movie. Oh yeah. Or sort of, he's the, he's the strangest character in a lot of ways. In ways that are both very directly involved with the plot, because he sort of just openly flouts um, certain orders and certain sort of power structures with the Japanese yeah. officers involved. But also where he's like, there's that, that scene where he's getting ready for what he thinks is his execution. And he's just going through, like, miming out the motions of getting ready for the day. Yeah. He's like brushing his teeth, <laughs> eating yeah. a bowl of cereal. He's shaving. It's this very bizarre sort of visual or this very bizarre sort of, yeah. of, of performance um, that adds sort of like this, this tinge of strange of surrealty to, I mm-hmm. think what's happening in Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Um, what do you think of Mr. Bowie as an actor? That was interesting. I didn't realize he was David Bowie until I looked it up later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Because I was like, who is this guy? He's interesting. I liked his acting. What threw me out for a little bit was the fact that he has different colored eyes. I had to look at yeah. look this up. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, is this the character in the movie or is this the guy? But it turns out it's uh, David Bowie has different colored eyes. And he has like one pupil that's like dilated more than the other all the time. Yeah. That's very interesting. There's, yeah. Um it's interesting to me is how much of this sort of this movie sort of plays into David Bowie as being David Bowie in a lot of ways, Ooh, yes. which is why I asked that question. Cause to me, he did. He sings. He <laughs> He sings. He also says some kind of line about how he wishes he could sing. Yeah. <laughs> which is really goofy when you recognize him as David Bowie. But, um, there's a certain, so much of this movie to me was watching David Bowie just be David Bowie and not so much sure. be Jack Sellers. Yeah. And a part of that is that I'm not, and a part of it is me wondering whether or not I, David Bowie is as good at being an actor as much as he is being a performer. Uh-huh. 
because so much of this movie is censored, sort of centered on him, and mm-hmm. he sort of he is sort of one of the dominant presences in this movie, if not the single dominant presence in this movie. Absolutely. And at the same time, I'm not sure it's him playing a character well as much as it is him just being this charismatic yeah. sort of showman or this sort of performer. Interesting. If I had to say something I didn't like about this movie, Michael, hmm. there's the Sellers or David Bowie's character flashback. There's a big flashback <laughs> scene where we just follow him and his relationship with his brother and his, his little brother. His little brother gets beat up and then he walks home with his little brother and then he says, I got to go, little brother, bye. I got to go to war. And then the flashback's done. Not really sure why that was in there. I think it was supposed to be sort of like a character study or a character piece. And sure. it goes on for so <laughs> long. That was, yeah, it, it's sort of one of my my issues with this movie. It's not so much the flashback itself, but how much time we spend yeah. flashbacking for a movie that does sort of feel pretty long at times. Yeah. Because it's a full two-hour film. Yeah. And there isn't uh, there isn't any other previous or flashback stuff in there. It's just that one character reminiscing while he's in prison while he's in yeah. a jail cell for for a bit which is also sort of weird to think about from a writing perspective yeah because this movie does seem like it is about more than just the david bowie character mm-hmm. but he's the only one who's sort of given the grace of a of a flashback very weird um what do you think about mr kitano's character though here we've got takeshi here we do it's not his movie that he made but he's i think got a a pretty big presence here yeah he does he's an interesting character i like how he's kind of a loose cannon in the camp where he's not the he's not the captain or anything like that but he's still going around like roughing up people the movie starts with him like basically bullying someone for uh almost being raped (laughs) yeah accusing them of being a homosexual and then He's basically just walking around being an oaf and screwing with people until Christmas when he gets all drunk and then he's laughing and then lets lets them do what they need to do. He laxes the requirements for a little bit and he's like, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because every time, even before then, though, they sort of hint at him being sort of a sympathetic character in some oh, way. Sure. Because he's talking about how he wants to stage when he... When he does sort of intervene after that that attempted rape, yeah, and and he is he's bullying the one Dutch character who was a victim, mm-hmm. but he's also forcing the Korean guard to to commit to seppuku <laughs> to commit suicide, yeah, and it's this very aggressive Yeesh. like this isn't a good man doing something, but at the same time he's talking about how he's going to. He's going to make sure it's described as as a, a war death yeah. or as an accident, so that the so that the character yeah. the uh, the guards mm-hmm. so the guards family gets a pension yes. from the military, and that comes up a couple of times it too, does. where he's trying to to sort of game the system in that way. So they do kind of let on that he does have a sort of sense of empathy, a sort of. And just even beyond that, sort of the conversations he's having with with Mister Lawrence about. Just about, you know, what the British military is saying, uh, how how the British soldiers act versus how the Japanese soldiers act, what, mm-hmm. what each, they each value. 
to where that you do feel like you should be reading it at least in some ways as a friendship yeah more than just a, a sort of this power relationship mm. um which i think is interesting and i think again this is one of those things that the takashi can do well is sort of balancing this this affableness this 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 sort of uh this this sort of nice guy alongside this this cruelty yeah um i don't know what do you think about the sort of this this sort of dynamic between david bowie's character and the captain though because uh, it does seem like it's letting something on it does yeah yeah because that relationship ends with him approaching him and then kissing him on the cheeks yeah <laughs> which is really interesting because i had to like rewind that and watch that again i'm like wait what happened why is he so angry because yeah. that basically leads to david bowie's death <laughs> But it flusters the captain too in it a way. It does. <laughs> like it's I think it's pretty clear the way you're supposed to yeah. read it is that Captain Yanoi does have some sort of romantic interest in David Bowie's character. Yeah. And you see that when he, he sneaks up behind the guy to to cut his and not behind him. Once he's once David Bowie's character is being executed, he's been buried into the ground up to his head. Yep. And just sort of left to die. Um well, I don't know if you can read it as explicitly because I think it adds later on through Kitano's sort of recalling that the the hope was to not Kitano's Lawrence's recalling yeah. that that the captain wanted the hair to eventually be brought to a shrine to mm -hmm. be so that the that Bowie's character would be honored. Yeah, but you also can kind of read it in a way that that does seem sort of romantic. That there is some sort of romanticism there. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of, there's a lot of facets and complexities to this movie, Michael. It's a real character piece, this film. Yeah. How'd you feel about the soundtrack? Oh, dang. I don't remember the soundtrack. What? How did I not remember any of this? Was it good? Educate me, I like Michael. The, I like the soundtrack a lot. Yes? It's very like... It's, very, it's like this electronic kind of... It's really electronic style of music, very, very much with it, like very 80s-ish in, in that way too. Sort of like very, very minimalistic electronic pop in, in some ways. Uh, and it was composed by the actor who played Captain, uh, the 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 camp captain. Really? Captain Inouye, Richie Sakamoto. What? Was the not actor David Bowie? <laughs> nah, yeah, you have David <laughs> Bowie and you're not using him on the soundtrack? That's nuts. Um, you know, so Ryuichi Sakamoto is sort of this well-regarded composer. He's really? very—that's what he's probably best known for, I think. No way. Is as a musician. Dang, um, he's a good actor too. Then. Yeah, I thought he did really well. And I think what's interesting is how much of this was acted in like what was clearly cast members like second language. Oh yes, hundred percent. Like Takeshi and and. Uh, Ryuchi's characters especially, but also um Mr. Uh, Lawrence's mm -hmm. uh, yep. uh, Mr. Lawrence's character. He does. There's a lot of really good, I think, acting in a second language. And it's it's all very convincing, even though you can tell it's mm -hmm. it, it is sort of a challenge to be be working in that way. Yeah. Um I don't know. Just a lot. I think there's just a lot of craft here, a lot of like 
a, a lot of that sort of like like that artisan chip to this that's that's really impressive and as as much as it is sort of enjoyable yeah david bowie's head sticking up out of some sand is a good image it's a good way to sell your yeah. film right there <laughs> yeah uh david bowie's head sticking out of sand <laughs> uh they really linger well, on it too they really milk that for all it's worth yeah because oh, it's pretty goddamn dramatic it is um i like him eating the flower oh yeah there's a little bit where is he's that like flower he's, fake it almost looks fake yeah i think it maybe oh, is fake no. how was he able it's to just, just chew that so easily if it was yeah. i don't know i just think it's kind of fun like it's <laughs> it's there's like a, a fun a certain sense of like I don't. I don't know. It was. It's just funny. I think David Bowie's yeah. character is fun in this. He is. Yeah. I don't know. Any other kind of thoughts? Any anything else kind of stick out to you about Merry Christmas, Mister Lawrence? It was an enjoyable movie. I really like this movie, Michael. Thanks for recommending it. Yeah, I'm glad. I also really like this. I so I knew I liked this movie because I watched it last year. Oh, really? At about That's this recently. time? Yeah, yeah. But uh, this was this was the rewatch, and I was just kind of like taken aback by how much i really i actually really love this movie it's a good one it good yeah it's very enjoyable first i've heard of it yeah okay well there you go now you've you've you now now you've you've heard of it and you've been able to see it you got away with finding movies out of nowhere michael very impressive yeah i try i guess you're clearly well versed in the boxed oh yeah uh check it every day once at the morning once at lunch and twice at night <laughs> that's the beauty of social networking that's what, that's what me papa taught me oh he loves pa- g-force on letterboxd he does love g-force starring nicholas cage <laughs> as an actual mole <laughs> uh you ever see G-Force? I don't, wait, once a very long time ago. Okay. But I don't okay. remember next to any of it. You're not missing much. It's There's this weird thing in like the 2000s, and I don't know what it is, but it's it yes. seems to be like this this idea of just making anything a spy agency. <laughs> yeah. You know? Cats versus dogs? Cats versus dogs is, is a really good example. Like Kids <laughs> Next Door is yes. in this equation. That one Butch Hartman show that isn't Danny Phantom or oh, really yes. Tough Puppy. Tough Puppy. <laughs> Tough Puppy is somewhere in this equation. Just this idea that let's make a, a secret agency yeah. secret agent group out of whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Wow. There's a video essay waiting to happen there, Michael. I'm not gonna even bother. <laughs> Uh, anyway, any kind of closing thoughts, I guess? What's sort of like your, your, if you had to like, if someone was to sit down and say, what do you think of B. Takeshi as, as sort of an actor or filmmaker uh, or whatever? Uh, what, what, what sort of thoughts do you have now that you've been able to spend a little bit of time with the guy? He seems like a fascinating dude. He's got a style about him, which I really appreciate. And I find immensely impressive as someone who takes a movie and directs and writes and edits and stars in it. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how you manage that many things and then also put in performances that are as good as he consistently does. Yeah. What, uh, if I, if you had to sit here and do a a power sprock, what would it look like? Of these three films? Of these three? Let's, let's throw Hanabi in there as well. Ooh. Oh, dang. Okay. Um, 
Um, uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Robinson up at the top. That's my number one. Okay. Number two. Oh, dang, Michael. Put me on the stop. I do Hanabi number two, Sonatine number three, Zatoichi number four. Okay. Okay. What about you, Michael? That's pretty much my list as well. What? Yeah. Maybe I might... No, I wouldn't. This is probably the immediacy bias kicking in. Uh-oh. But yeah, it's probably the same list as well. You think so? I was wondering whether or not I maybe would put Hanabi at the top because I really like Hanabi. Yes. But... Um, you can do it, Michael. It's probably... It probably... My list would probably look the same at the moment, though. Yeah. Zatoichi would be at the bottom. I still really like that movie, but it it's definitely like, like Sonatine... Hanabi both felt like statements and maybe, I don't know if it's fair putting Mr. Lawrence in here somewhere. Cause it's not really a Takeshi Kitano yeah. movie, but as a performance, it's as just as a movie, it's very good. And as a performance, Takeshi's character has done really well. And it's all just, I, I just, I really love that movie. So it would be at the top, but if you were to ax that out, cause it's not a necessarily Kitano made movie. My list would still probably look the same as yours. Yeah. Hanabi, Sonatine, and then Zatoichi. Hey! Definitive. Yeah. Put that in the box. Mm. You watch anything else, Michael? You watch a, You wanted to watch a Cat People movie. Yeah, I did not watch the Cat People movie. It's on the list. Yeah, it's coming up. Uh, it's been on the list for a while. I heard about it in a podcast somewhere, and I was like, this sounds interesting. Yeah. Uh, now it's... And, and now that... I, I ended up meeting someone who does know this movie to the point that they wrote a, like a college paper about it as a, they they wrote a college paper about it as a, as like a a trans text or something. And and I'm very curious about it now. What year did this movie come out? This is like the 1930s. What? So I think it's, it's not so much something that was intentional as much as it is as something that can be read into it, but I'm very curious to hear what they have to say. So I'm going to, this is sort of the, the prod to me finally watching cat people. Jeez. I was more interested. Uh, originally I was interested because it just sounded really like it's a B movie made by a director who was supposed to like bump it out the, the end of the, the film factory yeah. studio factory, but they put like their own unique stamps on it. They played it off as sort of this minimalistic thing. You never actually see the cat people really is my impression. Oh, wow. And at the same time, it's sort of creating all these different like visual tropes that end up becoming used extensively in like film noir and things like that. And wow. I'm just really curious about it now. In the but, 1930s? Yeah, it was a 1930s movie. Oh my uh, word. 1930. I'm going to find out. That is early yeah. cinema. It It is early film. <laughs> is it prestige though? Uh, my impression is that it is very prestige. Dang. 1942. 1942? Yeah, so 1940s. But... Jeez. Yeah, I don't know. That's just, I'm interested in it. You watch anything, but, no, uh, Michael, other than the Kitana movies? Not really. I don't have a lot of time to watch stuff anymore. I feel you. I've been trying to squeeze in... I did squeeze in Hitmonkey, that, that Marvel <gasps> series. Yeah! Is it good? That was... I guess is related to this because it's a Yakuza... It's yeah? more like a Yakuza series. Really? Except with goofy Marvel characters happening. Is it part of the and MCU? I kinda, no, I don't think so. I hope not. Ooh, I don't want it to be part of the MCU. I don't, 
non-canonical. It's probably non-canonical. <laughs> it's just kind of fun. I don't know. I think it sort of gets to. It, it's definitely made for an adult audience as well. Interesting. So it kind of gets to lead into lean into a little bit of a cruder sense of humor, and that's definitely there. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's coming at the expense of of sort of what's happening. It feels like it's all coming from the characters themselves. It feels sort of believable and sincere in a way, and it still allows sort of dramatic moments to hang the way they're supposed to hang. You're not having these situations where like, you know, you're, you're being introduced to, to Dr. Strange and he's <laughs> suiting up for the first time and it's dramatic and, and supposed to be like a character moment, except it's also being gunned down because you have a joke about the Cape being goofy or something, <laughs> or there's some kind of bad one liner. You're not cutting, you're not cutting the drama off at the knees for the sake of a laugh. You're, you're letting, the drama happen you're letting the characters actually act like characters and actually have their moments and you're respecting that ah. and that's sort of what i liked about it at the same time the setting is being like a a yakuza drama but also with sort of this this comedy this this sort of comedic and i think it is sort of me- meant to be played off as comedic this this sort of these extra trappings these goofy marvel characters like uh, a take on the bullseye character from daredevils there uh, you have a monkey assassin you have a ghost you have the silver samurai characters there and, and it sort of lets them it acknowledges that this is all very strange and goofy but at the same time it's like you know when something dramatic happens you you they let that actually happen to the character they let that sort of mm-hmm be something more than just the beats of a of a of of a film that you need to hit and then that you need to add this this sense of humor because we're not allowed to do drama as just drama anymore or whatever whatever sort of the marvel formula is yeah it felt like a way more sincere attempt at that and a way to do that and i just i just i like that about it what's the distribution for this thing is this disney plus this ain't disney plus is it hulu it's hulu Hulu, it's one of those those weird like hulu side projects thing sure things like they had they did this and they did some kind of stop animation with was it modok the the weird face oh yeah 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 um giant head yeah modok so they just kind of it's like they're shoveling these weird side projects off to hulu but they're also these things that are sort of because they're not being handled as the MCU, they're not having mm-hmm. to fit into the same sort of boxes and not having to check off the same boxes. And it doesn't become this sort of like laborious thing where this exists just to set up the next movie mm-hmm. or, or, or whatever. And you're allowing that, that sort of, you allow for a little more, more personalization, I think Ooh. a little more. So they're benefiting touches. from it, huh? Yeah, I think they are. And it's, I don't know. I, my my worry is that this does end up becoming and somehow a, a Marvel M- an MCU thing. Sure. Like they're going to multiverse it, so yeah. they're going to warp this in, or yeah. the same way they're doing with the Venom series oh, now, yeah. and, or that they're going to bring in the Tobey Maguire Spidey now because they've opened the multiverse mm-hmm. and you can just do whatever, and nothing really matters at that <laughs> point. Yeah. Like I don't understand how you build stakes anymore if yes. you're just going to rip apart the universe. But yeah, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Otherwise, it's just been like I've been trying to the trying for the with the Cowboy Bebop remake, and I've been trying Ooh. with uh, Squid Game, and I like Squid Game, and I actually kind of I kind of enjoyed the Bebop remake. Really? 
Yeah, kind of. Kind of. It's weak. It's definitely weaker. It's definitely got its it's it's definitely not not perfect. There's definitely some some issues especially with the portrayal of certain characters and sort of the writing is really bad. It kind of I think someone somewhere described the series as like the original series but without the they described the remake as being like the original, but without the art. And I think that's sort oh, of really? that argument really holds. Yeah. But the main cast is really good together. They've got a good chemistry, I think. Oh, okay. And I'm enjoying watching them, watching the series for them yeah. more than I am watching it as like a, a, a retelling of Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. So their chemist, the casting, their chemistry together works better than like their accuracy in terms of depicting the characters as they were in the anime? Somewhat. I think they're, it's, it's more than that. I think I need to bring up the cast list. Mm. Um, but I think Mr. like Cho? John Cho, yeah, like John Cho sells it very well. He's just, a, they're just good at playing these characters. Yeah. There's a lot of silliness in the anime. Does that translate in the trailers? It seemed a lot more serious. Yeah, it's no, it's goofy. It's absolutely pulpy nonsense. Ooh. Like this one is, it's so this movie, this the show itself, the the show, the live action yeah. show is very campy, in a way that I think hurts it at times. Like you don't really let the oh. there's not the same kind of dramatic stakes. Yeah. Don't really feel like they're there. Some of the style stuff is translated really poorly. Like there's an episode that's meant to be like a film noir, and it just flops. It just feels mm. like garbage. It just seems like a cheap attempt at a film noir. Interesting. And I hate it. Everything is filmed with the Dutch angle and it's bad. <laughs> oh no. There's the <laughs> the main villain. So throughout the original Cowboy Bebop, uh there's this villain character named Vicious yep. who's only sort of hinted at. Yeah. They sort of let there be a lot of mystery around him. They let there be a lot of like a looming threat about him mm-hmm. without really digging too far into it. You're not like getting the main character's backstory immediately. You're not watching this character, this this villain character, Vicious, interact with the world, really. You just know him to be sort of this looming, mysterious threat yeah. who's been in the past somewhere. Mm-hmm. And may or may not be the, related to Spike in some way. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And in the live action movie, the live action series, instead, you have like full a full storyline with him happening at the same time, like in a, a parallel story. So you're with him a lot more. So the mystery is gone, and instead he becomes a sort of... I think he was sort of miscast, but also just the writing around him is bad. You sure. see him instead as like this this sort of whinier... whinier... Uh, gothier, <laughs> hot topic villain <laughs> who's always angry and and is trying in the middle of a power struggle or something you're you're sort of robbing the mystery you're robbing the darkness from this mm-hmm. and that's something that that i think really hurts the series yeah but how does the new uh format uh work work for against it cuz the original show was just like 22 minute episodes i think pretty short bite-sized yeah. chunks this is like 45 minute long episodes yeah, and I kind of, I think there's a version of that structure that works. I don't think this is it. So much of it is padded out by, by things that don't really need to be there. By like this vicious plot that's okay. that's there. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. It just doesn't need to be there. Yeah, and it is, and it's sort of 
building it's sort of stretching things out in a way that they don't need it doesn't isn't needed like the original cowboy bebop worked with these like 20 minute stories because you got to all the emotional beats you needed to get to Mm -hmm. without overstaying any welcomes without i don't know it just it 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 never felt like at a point it was it was being in it was being too efficient you know sure and it didn't feel like these needed to be 45 minute yeah episodes but then they are now and it does sometimes feel like it overstays its welcome yeah but and the first season isn't the entirety of the series of the show plus the movie right not that i'm aware of no i got you. i think there's a lot more that's supposed to come after this if it does i don't know because people weren't really receiving it that well yeah but how's the music though music's fantastic yeah yeah <sighs> same composer isn't it she came back. It is the same composer. Oh, that was sort oh. of like the the thing that that won fans into it. At least was like that you needed to have this composer involved. Mm-hmm. Once they're involved, it's okay. Everything will be okay, <laughs> and it, it's still not okay. Oh. But cute I think it's better than people give it credit for. The cute corgis there, and it's very cute. Good. What about you? What have you been watching there, Chris? So well, Michael, you were talking about Marvel over the past couple of days. I watched through Iron Man, ah. The Incredible Hulk, ah. Iron Man Two, <laughs> Thor. Mm. Okay. Captain America, the first Avenger, and Marvel's The Avengers. Oh, I watched through phase one phase. of the Marvel films. What's your What's your okay. take on the on the phase one, Michael? Having seen so many Marvel stuff in the interim, <laughs> the first Iron Man's good. Yeah, yeah. They make him an actual fun character. They certainly do. After that, I don't like Iron Man Two is weird to me because it's so much of it is about like a a. a so much of it is a like it's so much of it belongs to this conflict between two billionaires <laughs> yeah and it's just really disconnecting and and frustrating in a lot of ways it's like oh who can get the weapons contract with the american mm-hmm. military mm-hmm. this is a hard conflict to have any kind of sympathy for and so much of it is them acting like rich playboys yeah. trying to win a weapons contract yeah um the incredible hulk exists it's it's sort of an afterthought i think it's interesting that they've kind of forgot tried to forget that it exists yeah. except the general pops up at some point later on i feel like i'm but. living in some alternate universe michael i've been going insane ever since marvel's the avengers came out in 2012 right and it was just like critically praised almost across the board at least in the um you know popcorn munching outlets that i was paying attention to at the time and so like, I was just so confused. I was like, who's Loki? Because I never saw Thor. I'm like, what's this Tesseract thing? Because I never watched Captain America, the first Avenger of Thor. And I was like, what is going on with any of these people? I don't I don't have any connection with Thor. Who's the new Hulk? Who is Mark Ruffalo? Is there another movie I have to watch? And the Incredible Hulk is still considered part of phase one. Yeah. But what's what's his name? Uh, Sean Penn? Is that his name? Uh, and it's not Sean Penn. No. It's uh, Edward Norton. Edward Norton. That's him. Yes. yes. Edward Norton plays Hulk in The Incredible Hulk. But I was like reading articles and it sounds like he was recast for the Avengers so that they could get someone that was easier to work with. But like his character isn't the same in the Avengers as he was in the Incredible Hulk. Like he's more medical doctory and he's more like science science in the Avengers than he was in the Incredible Hulk. But Mm -hmm. my understanding is that characters from that original The Incredible Hulk movie are starting to come back. And there's like a Marvel's What If episode that involves 
events from the Incredible Hulk, but it features Mark Ruffalo's voice actor doing the mm-hmm. stuff that Norton did in the original. So I was talking to like a Marvel guy today and I'm like, what is the deal? And he was like, well, for the longest time, you could just forget that movie. But now they're starting to bring it back a little bit. So he said that what he thinks is the case is that the events or the movie, The Incredible Hulk, is kind of sort of no longer canonical. But Mark Ruffalo in the events of The Incredible Hulk is canonical or some crazy nonsense like that. I still yeah, don't understand it, it, Michael. It's just a tradition. It's just a recasting. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's okay. supposed to be just a recasting. It's the same character and everything do, who did the same things. But it feels like weirdly Berenstain Bears-ish, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it just, it feels so like, like we don't talk about Edward Norton being the Hulk. No, he was never the Hulk. We've always been at war with Eurasia. We've never not been at war with Eurasia. That kind of, has that weird weirdness to it. Because, yeah, they, the characters are starting to pop up again down the road. I forget where, but at least the general from, from the yeah. Hulk has come back. Yeah. And it is all very weird because Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner does, as a character, is just different <laughs> than Edward Norton's Banner. And... It's just so it, it it does feel sort of weird. It bothers me but, too much. People probably got over this eight years ago, but I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just can't build that bridge in my brain for some reason. I don't know how everyone's just okay with this. I'm totally okay with them getting, you know, uh, the green goblin and octopus back for a new Spider-Man movie. Cause they want to do a multiverse thing. I, I, for some reason, my brain's way more okay with that. And then breaking the fourth yeah. wall than it is with them just recasting a primary character and pretending it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. The, cause it's weird. Cause they, for the longest time, yeah, they just didn't reference anything that happened in that movie. Yeah. It, like it was just like, it never happened. Uh, so and now it is acting. And now they are acting like it happened. And it is, I think you do just, you are supposed to just read it as the same character, <laughs> but they don't act like the same character. They're not the same character. And it's so bizarre just how it's, it's its existence is just really weird um especially because i think robert downey jr pops up in yep. that movie too yep with nick fury. as iron man or no not not uh nick fury isn't in there but yes robert downey jr is in there as iron man and he talks to the general he's like hey yeah. i hear you got a big green guy yeah <laughs> uh it's also very weird i don't know strange and then like captain america movie is fine the thor movie is kind of boring yeah it just all feels like like we're we're checking off boxes to get to Avengers. Mm-hmm. There's so many. And that's a weird way to go about filmmaking in my mind. Oh, but... totally. The, uh, Iron Man two had more than more of that than I was expecting because Iron Man two is yeah. juggling so many balls. You've got yeah. Iron Man revealing to the people his secret identity that he's Iron Man, and then you've got the introduction of Black Widow. And she's got like her own sequences. And then you've got the passing of the torch of Stark Industries to Pepper Potts. And then you've got a new villain in the mix, Whiplash. But he also has a guy overseeing him, which was the rich guy you're talking about. And then there's all this military government overreach nonsense with the senator not liking Tony Stark. And then you also have this. Yes. That's the other part of it is they make him out to be sort of like a, a, an adversary here. And it's like, <laughs> dude's right. You've got this rich billionaire running around with a web, with a giant weapon. Yep. Like, what do you, 
Yes, you should have a problem with that. Totally. There's a moral question there. It's bonkers. There's an ethics question there. But um, yeah. What a time. Yeah. You mentioned Dutch We're angles earlier, Michael. I did mention Dutch angles. Thor has way too many Dutch angles. It does. It ticked me off. Yeah. Thor feels so weird too because it feels so... That I think is the most like we're just checking off boxes at this yeah. point. Film. Yeah. Stinks, Michael. I don't know. But the Loki is the primary, one of the primary antagonists in Marvel's The Avengers. So you got to do your homework. He sure is. You got you to introduce him. Now, if you, if you, that must be weird. So you went into Avengers without any of these, like having seen a lot of this. Yep. Was it sort of strange? Was it? Yeah. Does it does it feel like Avengers balanced all of the the like it was able to be watchable independent of of having been through the MCU up to that point? Yeah. For me it kind of was, but it was still weird cuz I was like, you know, I hadn't seen Captain America, hadn't seen Thor, hadn't seen the Incredible Hulk. So, yeah. For me it was like, oh, Iron Man's with all these crazy people, and I felt like it felt like I was on um, everything was passing me by i felt like i was in a bubble and then like everyone's freaking out about how amazing marvel's the avengers is and i'm like well iron man's there and he's talking to other people who probably costed a lot of money to be there but i don't like loki's there i guess he just kind of showed up and then there's this blue cube that just kind of showed up and it was it didn't gel well with me in the way that it did on this most recent rewatch where I watched Thor and I'm like, oh, okay, so Loki's a character and oh, yeah. okay. The Tesseract is something that existed beforehand. It's interesting. And this was, uh, before this, before this rewatch of phase one, um, I, at one point I was like, well, I haven't seen X Marvel movies. I should probably watch those. So I watched Thor one. Then I watched Thor, the dark world. And then I watched Captain America Winter Soldier. I'm like, what is happening? I don't understand any of this. Because, like, Thor The Dark World, Thor 2, doesn't function as a sequel to Thor so much as it functions as, you know, a sequel to all the rest of the Marvel stuff that came before. Mm -hmm. And Iron Man 3 is probably very similar to that. Yeah. Bonkers. It's a weird world we live in, Michael. You can't just watch a movie a right now unless it's DC making a Joker movie. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's weird to me is like, cause it's not as though Marvel's the first time anyone's done film franchises or film series or anything like sure. that, but just at the scale that it it's doing mm -hmm. it at makes it sort of, it, it's weirder. It's harder, I think. Yeah. Cause it's not like, like Star Wars did this way back when it was dropping. Oh. It even, it even did the whole, we're introducing a character in a Christmas special thing <laughs> yeah. way back when. And it never felt this sort of unwieldy. Like, yeah, it would have helped to have seen A New Hope to go into Empire. And then obviously you need to have seen those to get to have a sense as to what's happening in return and stuff. But it's not like mm -hmm. you have to watch these five movies to get to this one that then sets up the next couple of like whatever movies <laughs> that you have to watch all of them to make sense of the next big team up. Yeah. And while you're at it, you also have to watch the the Disney Plus shows oh, now. No. Because those all matter too. I'm scared of that. And it's not even like, like they are they are building up stuff like Wandavision and and yeah. uh, and the Falcon and Winter Soldier to be sort of essential parts of the story. It's not like you can just kind of brush them off hey. going into the next phase. That's gutsy. It sucks, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't want to have to go through a. a, a 
a chore list to yep. to make sense of the next big blockbuster. Me neither, Michael. I've only watched six of these movies and I'm exhausted. Yeah, well, now there's like, there's like, what, 23 of them? Oh, no. There's like shows, Michael. That's more than like two hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you need to watch them if you want to get to Avengers there, Christian. <sighs> you need to at least... If you if you want to get to the Infinity Wars, you you have to know what happens in Black Panther, and you have to know Captain Marvel and and the three Iron Mans and Civil War and Winter Soldier and 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 Ant Man and uh, and yeah, they're setting up the the stuff in the the Disney Plus shows to be also essential. So you have to sit through like five hour long movies now too if you wanted to fully understand everything that's happening it all sucks that's why guardians of the galaxy was genius because you didn't have to watch any of that other crap because they were somewhere else yeah uh except they they're also an infinity war (sighs) so you need to watch those to understand infinity war uh are you going to keep going We'll see. Well, this was spurned on by my brother being like, yo, you want to watch the new Spider-Man movie in theaters with me? And I was like, yes, I I wiggled my way out of Shang-Chi because I was like, I haven't watched any of the other movies. It's not going to go well. It's going to be bugging me the whole time. You watched it, though, Michael. What? Shang-Chi? Yeah. Yeah, it was fine. We talked about this last time. Pretty well isolated from the rest of the MCU? Well, for the most part. They're like a ble- it's weird. There's a big thing that happens in Infinity War between Infinity War and Endgame, yeah. you know, the whole the the Thanos snap yep. or whatever. And it feels like this should be a bigger deal mm-hmm. cuz like imagine just half the world disappearing and then reappearing 5 years later. Thanks. Like it's crazy, mm-hmm. but it just feels like it's something that people reference as like a Wikipedia article now going yeah. forward. Yeah. And and Shang-Chi sort of references that as well, but interesting. Not in any kind of like meaningful capacity. Yeah. It's on its own enough until you get to the post credit scene, in which case, obviously they have to tie it into the rest of the, yep. the series with cameos and stuff. Yep. I th- that happened to me with one of those movies. I think it was one of the Spider-Man movies or something like the post credit mm-hmm. scene was like some aliens running around and I'm like, what is happening? I don't understand any of this. Yeah. But what's, Whatever. Now you got Eternals, and then I talked to my Marvel coworker about Eternals. He's like, "Dude, movie was just okay, but the post-credit sequence has massive ramifications and potential for the rest of the MCU. I cannot wait. Totally worth the price of admission." Such (laughs) a terrible way to engage with movies. It's a scary future we live in, Michael. You have to watch Eternals for the the (laughs) the post-credit scene. That sucks. I hate all of this. Uh, happy fun times. Just just keep watching the Monkey fun. Fight People cartoon. Everything's good. Monkey Fight People cartoon is good. It is the best version of this in that it is nothing like this. Except that there are goofy superpowered characters. That's all. It feels like the dream realized. Only we realized this dream two decades ago <laughs> and spent the rest of the time walking walking back from the dream very slowly. Well, if we're lucky enough, we can watch Robert Pattinson's Batman guilt-free. Oh, yeah. Our pets. Okay, Christian, anything else? That's all I got, Michael. Thanks for talking with me about movie films. Yeah, thank you. What are you you doing in the background there? I'm hearing some noise. Are you you 
ing something? Oh yeah, I'm I'm uh, shearing the cat. Okay, <laughs> that that explains the guttural screeches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got me. What are you are you going to use the cat fur for something? Yeah, we're making scarves. It's okay. getting to that time of year. Those those ones are frigid. Yeah, I hear cats can chase away the Wisconsin winter blues pretty well. <laughs> they're they're scarves at least. It's like a good luck charm. So it's a Wisconsin trick. I wouldn't expect anyone else from outside to, oh, to know this. But uh, you take care of fish, okay, though, Christian. I will. Don't be taking care of fish. <laughs>